0: Welcome to the Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from Mother Jones, NPR, Rachel Maddow, The Majority Report, Slate, and Tom Hartman.
1: Question that is near, if not at, the top of the international agenda. Is Washington planning airstrikes against Iran to prevent the Iranians from developing a nuclear weapon? In a moment, we'll hear from the author of a magazine article that says yes. This morning, at the Johns Hopkins School of Advanced International Studies, President Bush was asked whether the U.S. will allow Iran to develop nuclear weapons, and he said the U.S. does not want the Iranians to have a nuclear weapon or the capacity or knowledge to acquire one. But he said that other countries agree with Washington, and as for preventing Iran from going nuclear, this is what he said.
2: The doctrine of prevention is to work together to prevent the Iranians from having a nuclear weapon. I know, I know we're here in Washington, you know, prevention means force. It doesn't mean force, necessarily. In this case, it means diplomacy. And by the way, I read the articles in the newspapers this weekend, it was just wild speculation. By the way, what you're reading is wild speculation, which is, it's kind of a, you know, happens quite frequently here in the nation's capital.
1: One article the president was alluding to was Seymour Hersh's piece in The New Yorker magazine. It's called The Iran Plans. Uh, Seymour Hersh joins us. Welcome once again. Glad to be here. Subtitle of your article is Would President Bush Go to War to Stop Tehran from Getting the Bomb? And uh, what's your answer to that question? Absolutely. I think
2: there's no question. And I hope the president, it's great news that he said it's wild speculation. Maybe he's changed his mind in the last few days. But as of last week, I can tell you there are many people high up in the military and civilian bureaucracy who really don't know what he'll do but think he's prepared to go to
1: war. What's the difference uh, between a plan at the Pentagon which provides for the contingency that conceivably, if things don't work out, It might come to use of force against Iran, so have some plan on the shelf and a plan that the president actually takes seriously.
2: We have contingency plans for everything. In this case, the difference is my people on the inside say it's moved to the next stage, which is called operational planning. This by no means indicates that he, the president has made a final decision, but you've stated you're not doing contingency planning. You're really specifically looking at serious ways to take down the weapon systems, how many bombs you're going to put here, how many bombs you're going to put there. The next step, it would be for the president to make a decision, perhaps a warning order to the forces that start accumulating the assets, move planes around, get the bombs and ordnance, etc., cetera, uh, in the stockpile, and then he will give and execute. So we're not near it, but this
1: is much more than contingency planning. The uh, White House spokesman uh, today, in addition to calling uh, your article wild speculation, uh, also pointed out that the sources are are, are anonymous. You've characterized the sources. What's the motive of somebody uh, inside the administration or the Pentagon or close to it to start telling you anonymously about plans to bomb Iran? Fear. Fear that it'll happen. Fear that there's a disconnect right now
2: that's very acute in the Pentagon between the military leadership and the civilian leadership. It's not only a problem between Donald Rumsfeld and the generals, about which there's been quite a bit written, but there's also a disconnect between the White House and the military on this. And what I wrote about in some detail in particular was uh, the fact that there's a nuclear option in the plan. What's amazing to the military officers, it was inevitably if you're going to give the president an option plan, one option is doing nothing, another option to guarantee that you're going to get rid of an underground, let's say, In Iran, the major nuclear facility is believed to be in Natanz, which is 75 feet under hard rock. To get it, they say, with 100% accuracy, you need nuclear weapons. Of course, that was just an option. What happened is a month ago, the Joint Chiefs tried to walk back that option. They went to the White House and said, let's get it out of here because it's crazy. And they would not do so. The people in the White House, the president and vice president's office said, no
1: way. So they want the, the option to use tactical nuclear weapons to be on the table. To be a conceivable part of the plan.
2: Well, the president, you know, although he said what he said today at Johns Hopkins, if you listen to what he's been saying publicly, and also uh, uh, his vice president, Mr. Cheney, he's been saying two things. Every option's on the table, mm-hmm. he says. And he also says Iran will not be permitted to enrich any uranium. They're planning to do so in a very small pilot project. And he also says that Iran should not even be able to accumulate the knowledge to get a weapon. And that's an interesting sort of a, a, a red line. Um, Nobody inside, as far as I can tell, nobody believes they're within the Israelis say maybe two years from developing a weapon. The American intelligence community thinks eight to ten. And so what's the rush? That's one of the things the people in the inside are saying to me. Are we really going to
1: go to war because they begin
2: a small pilot
1: project? Do you think that any of the people who shared information with you about say the tactical nuclear option? Uh, would like to see the story out so that it might be part of a a deterrent to Iran. Say, let's tell the Iranians uh, how serious President Bush is about war, regardless of how serious he might be, so that they might come down politically on the stance of nuclear weapons. One of the great considerations I had in doing this story is that I would become a funnel, sort
2: Mm -hmm. of a a psychological war game or or information operation. Mm -hmm. But in fact, the people I talked with, I initiated the conversations in every case. Nobody volunteered things to me, and I have... I have, I guess you could call it my regulars, (laughs) I have a group of people that I've I've been able to talk to for dozens of years. And so, no, I don't think that's the issue. I I, I think the issue is there are people in the White House who don't mind stories like this because it does put the pressure on the Iranians. But the other side of that is really simple, which is Iran is not going to back off. We're in a situation where the president has set a red line. Iran has said that we're going to cross the red line. And as somebody very much a wise man said to me,
1: he said, Sai, something bad is going to happen. Uh, Seymour Hirsch, thank you very much for talking with us once again. Always, Always glad to be here. Sai uh, Hirsch is the author most recently of the article in the New Yorker magazine, The Iran Plans, Would President Bush Go to War to Stop Tehran from Getting the Bomb?
3: Let me welcome back to Mother Jones Radio political commentator and author Robert Dreyfuss. He wrote Devil's Game, How the United States Helped Unleash Fundamentalist Islam. Also writes for the Nation, The American Prospect, Rolling Stone, and Mother Jones. Bob, we've got a lot to cover this week. Welcome back. Thanks. It's
4: always a pleasure to be here.
3: We're going to start with your latest article on TomPayne.com. You're comparing the run-up to the Iraq War, which is in the history books now, With what we might be seeing in the future, the potential run-up to the Iran war, what are these commonalities that you're seeing?
4: (laughs) Well, I was really struck when I saw a quote from the foreign minister of Russia saying uh, that it looked like deja vu, because that's exactly how I've been seeing it for the longest time. And John Bolton, our intrepid ambassador in New York at the United Nations, came back at the Russian guy and said... Uh, you know, it may be deja vu, but that's because we're dealing with another bad country out there and we've got to fix it. So I, I think that's the problem is the whole rest of the world is looking at this, uh, American policy toward Iran and seeing that it looks like deja vu. And if you, some of the things that I was noticing, the obvious ones, of course, is that we're accusing another country only one letter different from iraq to iran of of harboring al-qaeda uh... we're accusing them of uh... having or seeking weapons of mass destruction without necessarily a whole heck of a lot of evidence to back it up uh... we're creating a new what they call uh... Office of Iranian Affairs at now, the Now, this State is important because
3: this is where it goes from rhetoric, which is tough to pin down, especially with the Bush administration. This, this is hard and final. They have made an office just as they did with the Office of Special Plans, with an eye toward Iraq.
4: Yes. Now, of course, the difference is that this is at the State Department and not the Pentagon. The Office of Special Plans was a Defense Department thing. But, yes, it is, it is a sign that they're starting to get uh, serious about doing something about Iran. And they are creating a whole series of listening posts in places like Dubai, our our friends at Dubai are helping us there, and uh, Baku up on the Caspian Sea, and in Turkey, and London, and Paris, and Tel Aviv. And all of these listening posts are supposed to search out and collect Iranian exiles to, um, well, for what purpose, we don't know, but we would assume to start, thinking about destabilizing uh, the the government of Iran. And then they've gone and appropriated or asked for another $75 million to use to send radio propaganda and and TV propaganda and also to assist uh, Iranian exile groups so, I mean, all of this, you just start to look at it and you, you wonder what the end result of all this is. It's certainly pushing toward confrontation. You there know, it's of-
3: interesting to, to contrast this with what we've been seeing in conversations w- with Cheney and Bush this week where they just keep repeating the same rhetoric that people are believing less and less about the importance of staying in Iraq, the the run-up to Iraq, Cheney saying that, you know, it's it's much more successful there than it's portrayed by the media. Granted that people are looking askance at that kind of rhetoric now, do you think they can pull this off again in Iran?
4: I don't think we can invade Iran. I think that's really out of the question because it's three times bigger in population than Iraq is. It's got a much stronger military, and it can strike back at us in many ways that are out of our control. So for all those reasons, I don't think that we can, uh, and, and I don't think we're considering uh, a military invasion of Iran now does that mean we can't strike at the nuclear facilities well that we could certainly do technically um, but again it leads to uh... unforeseen or incalculable kinds of consequences certainly unpredictable ones um... so i think they're more looking toward squeezing iran and seeing what happens and it's really a a course toward confrontation and the, the problem is you're dealing with two regimes Run by fundamentalists, one ours and the other theirs, um, who are not necessarily receptive to the mistakes that the other party might make. So I think once you start going down the confrontation path, um, it's not at all out of the question that things would get out of control and a, a real shooting war would start, even if that isn't the the plan. I mean, don't forget this administration has just undergone a complete and utter train wreck of its policy in Iraq. And they don't have a master plan, um, you know, that they're checking off boxes going down the list. I mean, this is a an administration of boobs and bunglers. And and I don't mean to jump to your later segments of the show, but...
3: No, dive right it, in.
4: Well, I mean, so the, the idea that they have some sort of master plan is uh is absurd i think and and so i'm more worried about them bungling into a war with iran um simply by you know continually upping the ante from a, a confrontational standpoint
3: well, let's talk about what's happening on American soil with an eye over to Iraq. We had Feingold, of course, talking about censure because of the wiretapping on behalf of the of the terrorism program. And now we have Feinstein asking for Rumsfeld removal and, and Iraq troop reduction because of everything that's gone so wrong over there. We know that Feingold was met with dead silence from his, his Democratic compatriots. Is there any traction for Feinstein's call for Rumsfeld's removal? Well,
4: first of all, uh, Senator Feingold from Wisconsin is an honorable and upstanding senator, the only guy who voted against the Patriot Act, and somebody who has consistently tried to defend a a progressive position.
3: Do I hear a comparison coming here, Bob?
4: Yes, you do. Um, Feingold is a fine senator. Diane Feinstein is a dishonorable senator. She's somebody who not only voted for the Patriot Act and now... You know, wants to have her cake and eat it too, but somebody who was, you know, spent much of the early part of this century ranting and raving about Iraq and saying how she supported uh, the overthrow of Saddam and everything else. So, I think she's jumping on the bandwagon or something with Rumsfeld because it's clear that he's, you know, an easy guy to beat up on now. But the only thing she's beating up on Rumsfeld for is mismanagement of the war that she wanted in the first place and I don't buy that I don't necessarily think that it's even a fair charge that Rumsfeld I mean he certainly did things wrong but the the war itself was wrong and so it's it, it's impossible to well manage a completely uh, unmanageable you know almost uh, Deranged attack like we did against Iraq, and so
3: might, might that be looking gift horse in the mouth, mouth a little bit though. I mean, Rumsfeld resign was the famous headline. What three years ago already?
4: I'm all for Rumsfeld resigning. I'm for you know Cheney retiring for health reasons. I, if the president wants to resign himself, I'm for that too. I mean, uh, but but we can't expect any. I mean, I mean they're not going to name Russ Feingold to be defense secretary if Rumsfeld resigns. I don't see how that fixes a whole heck of a lot. They'll, they're going to then name Eric Edelman, or they're going to name some other evildoer to take his place. Edelman is? Edelman, Eric Edelman was Dick Cheney's national security aide. He's mm. now the undersecretary of defense for policy. He took over Doug Fife's job when Fife when left. And the point is, these are all interchangeable parts, and there's a lot of them. Now, is it possible they might name a... a a moderate republican who's not hegemony minded and imperialistic would they put in somebody like chuck hagel uh... you know that's not i guess out of the question but that would be a, a major policy shift by the bush administration not simply rumsfeld resigns and i'm all for dramatic policy shifts but so far when you hear what which and cheney are saying about iraq it's the opposite of policy shifts it's we're going to stay in Iraq for years. We're going to win this thing. We're going to beat the the terrorists as if that's who we're fighting in Iraq. And, you know, we're going to march to victory. And, of course, they've been saying that for three years, and, and they've got another three years in office, I guess, to keep saying it.
3: Bob, it's always a pleasure. Thanks so much.
4: Thank you. Pleasure here.
3: Robert Dreyfus is currently working for an article in Rolling Stone on the wiretapping conflict. His article right now on TomPayne.com is Deja Vu All Over Iran.
5: Those are some of the stories we're keeping an eye on today. But now it's time to check back in with our old pal, the drunk prospector, to find out the final story on today's Rachel Maddow Show front page. Are we about to freaking drop a nuclear bomb on Iran? Holy mackerel, Seymour Hersh, uh, the guy who exposed the Abu Ghraib prison scandal, who exposed the My Lai massacre and its cover-up in Vietnam. Seymour Hersh has a new piece in the New Yorker magazine. We've linked to it at our website, mattoonline.com. It's a new article that says we plan to drop a nuclear bomb on Iran, specifically on suspected nuclear facilities in Iran, uh, and that we plan to use one of these bunker-buster nuclear weapons to do it. Here's Seymour Hersh yesterday on CNN with Wolf Blitzer. Uh, the first voice you'll hear is Blitzer.
6: You believe, based on all the reporting you did for this article, that the president of the United States is now aggressively plotting military action, a preemptive strike
2: against Iran? The word I hear is messianic. He absolutely thinks, as, as, as I wrote, that he's the only one now who will have the courage to do it. He's politically free. I don't think he's overwhelmingly concerned about the 06 elections. I think he really thinks he has a chance, and this is going to be his mission.
5: That's Seymour Hersh speaking yesterday on CNN. What he's alleging is being corroborated by other people as well, even though it's freaking nuts. Uh, if you don't take my word for that, uh, consider the response to this news this weekend uh, from Condoleezza Rice's fake boyfriend, uh, Jack Straw, the British foreign minister. The idea of a nuclear strike on Iran is completely nuts. Nuts, exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself, Mr. Jack Straw. Of course it's nuts, but that does not mean that these guys aren't extreme and radical and nihilist and messianic enough to try it. One of the issues Seymour Hirsch discusses is internal dissent over this crazy plan. Apparently, the Joint Chiefs of Staff have been trying to get the nuclear bomb issue out of the Iran plan. Hersh's article cites numerous anonymous sources, including sources that told him there will be high level resignations at the Joint Chiefs of Staff unless the nuke Iran plan uh, is taken off the table. Here's Seymour Hersh explaining that part of the equation again on CNN yesterday.
2: What happened is about three or four weeks ago, the White House people in the White House in the Oval Office, the vice president's office said, no, let's keep it in the plan. That doesn't mean it's going to happen. They refuse to take it out. And what I'm writing here is that if this isn't removed, and I say this very seriously, I've been around this town for 40 years, some senior officers are prepared to resign. They're that upset about the fact that this plan is kept in.
5: Here's my reaction. On the one hand, wouldn't it be refreshing if there were actually high-level resignations in the Bush administration? People resigning in protest instead of staying in until their fully vested retirement comes up and then expressing their regret quietly from the safety of their retirement. Wouldn't that be nice, some high-level resignations? On the other hand, if these guys are nuts enough to consider dropping a nuclear bomb on a Muslim country in the Middle East, what makes us think that anybody resigning in protest is going to make a difference to them?
7: So we are here with Bill Scherr, the proprietor of LiberalOasis.com. And, uh, over the weekend, I guess, uh, Cy Hirsch's story in the, uh, New Yorker magazine broke. And it is a, uh, it is a huge story. It has just blown up uh, across all of the uh, corporate media. Uh, and w- which I think in and of itself, Bill, is an indication that, um, maybe, just maybe, we won't get fooled again. Uh, Maybe, or at least people are working towards that end. So tell us a little bit about the Cy Hirsch story and, and where this fits in, because I know we've spoken to Joseph uh, sony uh, on this program from the Carnegie Endowment for Peace, and uh, you have been following his work for quite some time, and this jives with a lot of things that he's been saying lately. Right,
6: what Hirsch reported in the Washington Post echoed it also over the weekend was that there already is a significant amount of planning for uh, a military strike on uh, Iran, uh, not contingency planning as Hirsch said, operational planning, which is the next next step up. And in Hirsch's characterization, um, the possibility that Bush is, is quote-unquote messianic, um, and it doesn't believe that anyone else will have the the will to do what it takes In Iran, so he can't wait for the next president, be the Republican or Democrat, he's gonna get the get the job done his watch. Um, Whereas many military planners and other outside analysts, like uh, Sir Sodi say you will not just um, accelerate the Iranian nuclear program if you have a a military strike, but you also inflame the entire region.
7: Now, now there's a couple of points to be made here because uh, you know, uh, uh, Justice Sir Soty he he outlined a couple of different options. That that could happen. Right. You know, one is an invasion. He said that's highly unlikely because we simply we have a broken military. Well
6: what Hirsch was saying before I'm sorry to cut you off for you break all the options, but Hirsch was saying was not a full blown ground invasion to take right. over the government. What Hirsch is saying is his, what his reporting is saying, the idea would be to have airstrikes on the targets where the nuclear facilities were, with the belief That this would somehow humiliate the Iranian government, and therefore the people would then rise up on their own accord to overthrow them.
7: Right. I mean, and and where they make that logical jump is beyond. Which, on its face, is absolutely ridiculous. I mean, we have seen what happens when we invade another country uh... when we attack another country the people rise up and attack the invaders if I can hear and here's the occupiers i mean
6: they're looking at on paper and saying well there's a whole lot of people in iran that don't like the current government and so if we go there up-
7: used to be a lot more well, right. I mean, if you remember <laughs> uh... four years ago bill and i know you do uh, people were saying this regime in iran may not have more than uh... three or four years anyways because the reform movement was coming so strong And if people you know people forget this but on nine eleven there was one country in the Middle East which had a candlelight vigil, a spontaneous, people-powered, people-driven show of empathy and sympathy and support for the American people. And that was... After 9-11 you're talking about. After 9-11, and that was in Iran. Now, the fact that four or five years later, uh, they will go and they will elect... The more hardline, uh, government is an indication of the perceived threat that the United States is to them. And we have, re- and also Axis of Evil, we have done our, our best to alienate and marginalize them. Now, so, Sierra and Sony took us through a couple different ver- uh, options. One was the invasion, which he says is highly unlikely, it's impossible. Right. Two was bombing certain, uh, uh, facilities that would slow the production chain down. And he said, uh, up until a month ago, I didn't think that this was likely. Nobody was taking it seriously. But everything I've been hearing over the past two weeks, and he's told us this, I think, about two weeks ago, was indicative of that people are starting to take this seriously. The next step that Cy Hirsch reports is, because everyone knows that the Iranians have moved a lot of their uh, key uh, nuclear facilities underground, The next step Cy Hirsch is is talking about is the dropping of the so-called bunker busters. These are
6: nuclear, these are tactical nuclear weapons that the United States would attack Iran with, and according to Hirsch, there are several top-level military officials that may resign if that part of the plan isn't taken off the table now.
8: Um Cy Hirsch has the most uh, pointed one in The New Yorker about planning to uh, undo the Iranian nuclear program. Basically, what struck me about it is Hirsch is claiming that the planning is much farther along than mere contingency planning that goes on all the time in the Pentagon. I think they, are, they even plan for attacks from the Canadians and that they're further along. And what strikes me is the echo we see from all of the rhetoric before Iraq. Um, where the administration said, oh, these reports are overblown, we're not planning, you know, stop listening to the that crazy press, and then suddenly, you know, <laughs> we're, we're at war. Your thoughts, David, on Iran?
9: I just can't believe it's anything but saber-rattling. It just isn't possible. It's inconceivable. They are not—they couldn't possibly be that prone to folly to do it. I mean, they, it's just not— It's not reasonable to think about it. It's not happening. It's it's not happening.
10: So Cy Hirsch has it wrong? No, of course they're
9: planning this. They sit around and plan it. And I'm I'm sure they're planning it at a somewhat greater level of granularity than they plan their invasion of Canada. But I think that's about as likely. I mean, the invasion (laughs) of Canada and the invasion of Iran or the the airstrikes against Iran. I mean, I I will eat that microphone cover if we bomb Iran in the next year.
8: Well, um... <laughs> uh, we, we, History we reports that I pointed to John's on, microphone. Yes, yes. Loren, David's well, quite
10: attached to his own microphone.
8: Yes, he has the Donnie and Marie a single microphone not attached to the table for this session. Uh, Emily, your thoughts on, on Iran and... Uh,
10: I don't know how to feel about this other than terror and dread, if if you're going to give it any sort of credence. And so because I am someone who generally likes to minimize all threats until they're absolutely <laughs> staring me in the face, I, I'm with David. I, it just seems completely... Nuts. I don't see how we have the resources to do this. The President has other problems right now. It just seems, I just can't believe that it would happen. But if it did, She would it be scary?
8: Right, yes. Well, they argue, of course, that uh, we're not the only actors in this event and that the Israelis may make a decision that if Iran passes that tipping point, which they say is very close in terms of the – because at some point when you when they develop their nuclear bomb, it will be dispersed throughout Iran so that it basically – if you nip it in the bud, there's an advantage to nipping it in the bud. And the Israelis may make this decision as they did with the Osirak reactor. It's more complicated now, but they made this decision once before. But isn't
10: it significantly more complicated? I mean then there was one place you could go, right? I mean I right. remember those newspaper pictures from 1983, and it was very – Clear and it was over. Whereas now they've dispersed their right. nuclear installations around the country. It's not That's the same right. ball game.
8: Although precisely not the same ball game. Uh, although the argument now is, if you wait, t- you know, X number of months, it becomes an even more complicated problem, and that and that the Israelis, you know, this is of course the most hawkish member of the administration who will give you this narrative. But basically, that the Israelis know where to hit, and that they know where to hit, and they know what the tipping point is, and and that they are willing to go do it. And now the question is what role do we play, and do we really want the Israelis doing this because if they do it, it lights the entire Middle East on fire, although I don't see how us going and doing it you know makes that any less. but this is why they say there's a sense of urgency, of course. it's not just the fact that the the Iranians are moving towards a program, but it's the fact that the they think the Israelis might move unilaterally without without us um and, well, that's uh, a
9: great advertisement for. Our foreign policy is that we're doing things because the Israelis won't have to. That will really reinforce all our relationships in the Middle East.
8: And, uh, yeah.
9: And I don't, the Israelis wouldn't do this
8: anyway. I mean, they're, they wouldn't.
10: They also have other problems. It's,
9: it's crazy.
8: Yeah. I, it it seems pretty damn crazy to me, too. But,
9: um, I mean, we want to cause another gigantic conventional war and alienate, you know, and alienate millions of Iranians who we've been talking about making our democratic friends just for some, Putative prevention of a nuclear proliferation
8: that's going to happen anyway, Just-
9: right next
10: door to the big conflagration we've already got going.
8: Here's the here's the, the final question on this: is whether the United States, because of the, the the problems in Iraq, actually has no ability to rattle the saber. I mean, whether we all think it's totally implausible, not that they're planning, but that they would ever do anything. Don't, don't we assume that that's what the rest of the world thinks, which is basically, you know, the president, the country is not behind the president, the world is not behind the president, and they're sure not going to be behind him doing it again in Iran, no matter what the justification. So doesn't the rest of the world believe this? And isn't this basically the result of what's happened in Iraq, which is that our prestige in terms of our use of power is completely dwindled and diminished?
10: Well, that seems pretty plausible to me. And then you could argue that the saber rattling is a great idea because at least we should be keeping people a little bit on their toes
8: which is the old line they used to go about nixon the crazy man theory right you know the president is mean, crazy only, enough right. to the j-
9: only thing i can think is that the only alarming thing the only reason why i might end up eating that microphone cover, cover is that because the saber rattling has no effect it may make them think that they actually have to you know take the saber out of the sheath and you know swing it in the direction of of the iranians that may make them think they have to do it because it's because he- they don't believe in d- diplomacy we already know they basically don't believe in diplomacy so it's they may feel kind of obliged to, to in order to prove that they can saber rattle
8: they'll actually they have to, <laughs> have bomb to use somebody. the saber right yeah. all intermediate measures are gone it's either nothing or the bomb huh.
11: there is a plan says Seymour There is a plan for the U.S. to attack Iran with nuclear weapons. By the way, speaking of uh, plans, it's 1,015 days, 11 hours, 54 minutes, 38 seconds until George W. Bush leaves office, barring impeachment. So just as a heads up, the, you know, we're down a few days, you know, every day, another day. Tomorrow it'll be 1,014 days. So Seymour Hersh says there's this plan on the table. The Bushies have worked out a plan, and it involves the use of nuclear weapons against Iran. The U.S. is not just under the under the Bushies. It's not just going to go down in history as the only nation in the last 70 years. The only the only major democracy or the the major nation let's say, I, I hesitate to say that Hitler's Germany was a democracy by the time he invaded Poland. But we're, we're, not, we're, we're not only going to get on in history as the, the second major industrial power in the world to have launched an unprovoked war against an essentially defenseless country that represented no threat to us whatsoever, but had resources that we coveted. But we may go down in history as the only nation to have used atomic weapons against another nation. This will make it, what, three times? I mean, we dropped two A-bombs on Japan. And there are people inside the military, in the senior military, who are saying, whoa, no, don't want to have anything to do with this, don't want to go there. Cy Hirsch. For example talking about this this weekend
2: what i'm writing here is that if this isn't removed and i say this very seriously i've been around this town for 40 years some senior officers are prepared to resign they're that upset about the fact that this plan is kept in you know one thing about our military is they're terrible loyal they're very loyal to the president but they're getting to the edge they're getting to the edge with not only rumsfeld but also with the cheney and the president
11: yeah so reaching the edge and and You know, three-star general coming out and almost calling, essentially calling for a revolt. So what does this produce? It produces a propaganda campaign. Against whom? Against you and me. Tom Ricks today writing in the Washington Post. The U.S. military, on page one, is conducting a propaganda campaign to magnify the role of the leader of al-Qaeda in Iraq, according to internal military documents and officers familiar with the program. They want to overstate his importance and they think that by by uh, overstating the importance of abu, abu musab al zarqawi this this uh, jordanian who is the leader of al qaeda in iraq that by making him into a giant boogeyman that bush can become you know if he has a lex luthor then he can become superman he's got to have a lex luthor he's got to have a superhero for him to be uh, the the super, I mean, he's got to have a, a super antihero, a super villain for him to be the superhero. If he didn't have Lex Luthor, the Superman comic books would be incredibly boring. If Batman didn't have the Joker, it would be, you know, yeah, okay, Batman knocks off another another guy trying to stick up somebody. you know it's a it would be boring. You've got to have super villains if you're going to have a superhero. George Bush knows this. The people who were running George Bush know this. And so they create and just, just as I would suggest, they massively inflated the significance and importance of Osama bin Laden and turned him into an international anti-hero for us and hero for many people. They're, they're going to do the same thing now as Zarqawi. And they're doing it because they think, well, here, quoting the, t- the Washington Post today. The effort has raised his profile in a way that some military intelligence officials believe may have overstated his importance and helped the Bush administration tie the war to the organization responsible for the September 11, 2001 attacks. In other words, the Bush administration, by making Zarqawi a big deal, by making Americans think that Zarqawi is behind most of the attacks, when he really is a a marginal player who may not even have anything to do with al-Qaeda any longer, what the Bush administration is going to successfully, is, is trying to successfully do, is caught, and certainly I'm sure it's for to the listeners of right-wing talk radio, is going to cause people to think, oh, this is al-Qaeda in Iraq. That's 9-11, al-Qaeda. So we must be fighting against the guys who hit us in 9-11. So let's, you know, yeah. They have, the Washington Post has outed documents, U.S. military documents, And they say the the documents explicitly list, quote, the U.S. home audience, end quote, as one of the targets of a broader propaganda campaign. This propaganda campaign, including leaflets, radio and television broadcasts, internet postings, and at least one leak to an American journalist. In a transcript of the meeting, Colonel Derek Harvey, who served as a military intelligence officer in Iraq, one of the top officers handling Iraq intelligence issues for the Joint Chiefs of Staff, in a transcript of the meeting at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, last summer, he said, our own focus on Zarqawi has enlarged his caricature, if you will, made him more important than he really is in some ways. He says the long-term threat is not Zarqawi. He comes right out and says this uh, to, to the military, but we're going to turn him into... I'm no longer quoting him, but now this is my words. But, but we're going to turn Zarqawi into Lex Luthor. We're going to turn him into the Riddler. We're going to turn him into the Penguin. We're going to turn him into Adolf Hitler. We're going to turn him into bin Laden revisited. Why? Because it will cause the American people to rally around George W. Bush. It will cause the American people to think that because Zarqawi had something to do with al-Qaeda, al-Qaeda has something to do with our, our soldiers dying in Iraq. Because al Qaeda had something to do with the, the 9/11 and they might have something to do with our soldiers dying in Iraq, that our battle in Iraq is against the people who attacked us on 9/11 when in fact, there is no relationship between Iraq and 9/11. Uh,
12: furthermore, I went on myspace last night. And I checked out our you know, Young Turks page, and I checked out Jilly's page. And you know what? I was like, I like it. Like People would send us messages, and they were really nice messages, and they had ideas. And I could get to see their pictures. I was like, oh, that's what he looks like, and that's what she looks like.
10: My favorite messages are, are the ones they give me secretly telling me to lose the two of you.
12: Yeah, there was one like that for me, that I should lose the two of you. Wait a minute. <sighs> All right, guys. Uh,
13: anyway, uh, if, you, if you come to our page on MySpace, ben bring they, a friend they with you. I think you should
10: keep us, though.
13: Yeah, well, by the way, the message seems pretty clear: is that I should go. Um, uh, I uh, I've never been to MySpace.com. I've never seen that. I don't know what it is. Well, if you um, go and you jo- join up uh, on our page, make sure you bring a friend, Ben. Okay, and I will also like to point out this: that you know, we had that uh, Newsweek uh, uh, correspondent on to talk Brad about right. Brad Stone. to talk about MySpace a couple weeks ago, and uh, and Brad uh, came on the show, and the, one of the first questions that I asked him was, for those people who don't know, and I don't know, I knew what it was because I've read enough about it. And I'd read Brad Stone's article at that point, but I said, you yeah, know, explain what MySpace is. And I got the feeling that you were like, oh, that's a waste of time question, right? Uh-huh. Not one of my friends knows, has heard of MySpace. Not one of them.
12: No, but this is because your friends are giant dorks.
13: That may be, but... but. You okay, know. no, but I'm going to ask you real quick. They, not that they don't know what it is. Like, I got They never heard of it? I don't know. I mean, some had heard of it, but they don't know. Like I mean, it didn't matter if they'd heard of it. They just think it's a website. They don't know why it's significant, what it is. They didn't know that Rupert Murdoch had paid $584 a million dollars for it. A million
12: dollars for it, and at this point, people were saying he right.
13: stole it. He stole it. Well, the, in, in the weeks afterwards, they were like, Rupert Murdoch's an idiot. And then they were right. like, oh, it's worth a billion. Oh, it's worth two billion, <laughs> <Yeah>. three billion. <laughs> yeah, you so, don't, get by it, the way, and I, but, and then my way of thinking is that, right, and then a year from now, it'll be worth $84,000. <laughs> <laughs>
12: no, no, that's not true. There, It's now... Uh, Almost, it's right on the precipice of being the most visited website in the
13: world. I understand, it's just that so far... So, whenever people come to anywhere, you could just put ads on I understand, but it happened, I know it's not going to be worth $84,000, but I mean, I just, you know, there was the, oh my God,
9: oh
13: my God, Google, and then there's always just something that turns it badly, and it's something will turn badly on MySpace, not badly gone, just uh, they'll realize, no wait a minute, it can't be worth a couple billion dollars, They're four gillion websites. I think that uh, the last number I saw... And, and, uh, MySpace doesn't have enough porn to be worth that much money. It has some porn, but not enough. No, but it's better than porn, because people get laid off of MySpace. Oh, they go, you see what I'm saying? Because porn is blah, blah, blah,
12: but it, it's not the real thing. Here you go, you look at Julie's picture, and you think, hey, maybe I can get with Julie. And it turns out, like, one out of 12 times, you can get with that person. And now, in real life, that's embarrassing, but in the Internet, you're like, whatever, I'll try 12 times. Maybe one that... in
13: 12, by the way, in real life is...
12: Awesome. I'll no, it's totally awesome, but it's embarrassing. On. You know, the eleven times. Here. But I'll on the internet, it, you get rejected. Who cares?
10: I'll have a message date with people through I for through MySpace.
12: Oh, uh, bore me to tears. Message, message date? date. Oh, please. <laughs> that sounds great. Unless you're like messaging them about it, what you're gonna do, you know smother their face in your whatever. Then I'm not
13: interested. A message in that. date is the equivalent of uh, watching the Cowboys and the Eagles this season on the day that To returns to Philadelphia, or playing uh, or watching two of your friends play the old. Uh, a football board game with the vibrating field. You know. Uh-huh. That's that's the equivalent of a, of a message date. you even know what that is?
12: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. You're saying nothing happens. Nobody gets laid.
13: Nobody gets laid. Nobody cares. It's the dullest thing in the world and all the players run into each other. Uh, and, and and by the way, how you're supposed to, I never understood how you're supposed to complete a pass in that game.
12: Never played it. I didn't understand it. It was like, I as if I was your friends about MySpace.
13: It was literally like you decided to put little chess figures on a, uh, a dryer. Uh-huh. On a you know, big your mom's dryer. Right. You, or your dad's dryer, if your dad's gay. Um and then turning it on and pretending it's a football game.
12: All right, now speaking of cowboys and gay, uh, living it to a great by the way, the reason we talk about MySpace is spread the word about us. So we don't care to promote R- Rupert Murdoch's products, just get there and spread the word, spread the word, spread the People
10: word. People get famous off it and we want to get famous.
8: Sure, that's so great. So we can take
10: over the world.
8: That'd be swell.
10: And let Democrats reign forever.
0: Thanks for listening, everybody. Now, I know what you're thinking. What the hell was that last clip all about? Isn't this show supposed to be about politics? Well, I heard that clip, and I thought to myself, I could not have described it better. So, I decided not to, and I just used that explanation as my own. I do not have uh, love for MySpace, necessarily. I don't have my own page, but now, in the interest of promoting the show... And thanks to you haven't heard this yet, this is exciting. Thanks to Superstar Unpaid intern Matt from uh Northeastern University in Boston, Massachusetts. God help you if you get mixed up and accidentally say Northwestern University. I now have a Best of the Left podcast, MySpace page. So you can come and find me there. It is linked at the website. You can um you know, be my friend, as the lingo goes, and bring your friends with you. And it's just uh, an easy way that uh, that you can kind of pass on the word of the show. There's not a whole lot to it, but when you go to it, place plays the promo, you know, you can send me messages, that sort of thing. So it, it could be kind of fun. But wait, that's not all. You see, the plan is, by the time I'm done, you pretty much won't be able to go... ...anywhere on the internet without accidentally stumbling upon some page or another promoting my show. So, uh, toward those ends, I have also created a Frapper map for the uh, for the show. Which is, is it actually doubles uh, now as the Best of the Left community. So, if you've ever been to the Best of the Left message board... You know that um, it, well, I mean, personally, it was about the um, lamest looking message board there was um, that I had ever seen. And so now the Frapper map and message board are combined in one and it looks professional because somebody else designed it and um, now I just use it for free. So now you can all stop worrying. I know that uh, it might have been a little stressful that you only had, uh, you know, three or four ways to contact me. Now you've got five or six or whatever it is. And uh, so, you know, please, you know, file file in in an orderly fashion. I don't want anybody getting hurt. Go to the website bestoftheleftpodcast.com. All the links are right there, right where they've always been with a couple of new additions. So the current list goes something like this. Emails at hippiesympathizer at gmail.com. Leave reviews on iTunes. Vote and leave comments at Podcast Alley. Join me at MySpace. Become my friend and show all of your other friends about the show. Join the Frapper Map and leave comments. And there's still a listener survey. And... You can find all of these at bestoftheleftpodcast.com Finally, that's it for today. Have a good one, everybody.